made it to another episode of the Pipe Dream Podcast. This is a show that reveals the real and raw of tradesmen's stories. We get the truth from those who support the people who do the work. We also take a deep dive with resilience experts and those who do the heavy lifting, supporting the labor force. Listen for today's tale from the trench. Hello, my brother. This is Nick Gemmel, the Awakened Tradesman. And the topic of today's episode is Lay of the Land, a discussion with Jesse Curtis. Sit back and relax and listen to today's tale from the trench. Jesse. How we doing, Nick? Fantastic. You? Oh, I am doing awesome, man. Uh, thank you, first of all, for uh, letting me be on your show. This is great. Oh, yeah. No, it's fantastic. I love I'm, I'm trying to bring more people, we'll get into it, but trying to bring more people in the industry into these conversations. And uh, so, no, this is fantastic. And uh, I guess along that note, uh, let's just give a little uh, background on who you are and, and why you're here. Well, my name is Jesse Curtis. I uh, or I was a pipeline surveyor for the last six years uh, working on various oil and gas projects in the United States. Uh, I really came up through the ranks in pipeline. I started as a rodman on my first job, and on the last one, I was a party chief. So I've seen just about uh, all facets of uh, pipeline production from, uh, you know, doing, you know, uh, prelim all the way to cleanup. So I've been on all phases of um, several different pipeline jobs. Um, It's uh, it's definitely been an adventure the last six years. I kind of got into it by accident and, um, boy, am I glad I did cause it, it really changed my life. But, um, you know, the last couple of years or so I've kind of, uh, been in the, uh, thought that maybe pipeline isn't really what I'm destined to do. So, uh, this year I decided to uh, break off from that and I've started my own business helping out independent artists. And by independent artists, I mean uh, primarily musicians um, and other uh, media creatives, such as podcasters like yourself, uh, YouTubers, Twitch streamers, uh, yeah, anything like that. And I've uh, started my own business uh, doing uh, consulting and coaching and, and training for independent artists to help turn their creative passions into their business. Oh, and it's amazing. And it's, uh, and that's the, I guess I want people that are in the industry to to live a better life. And that's my focus mainly in my, in my online coaching, but uh, it's always for a purpose and you found yours and, uh, and that's great. So in the six years, um, I guess, were you married um, single? Um, I was single when I started uh, the, uh, the start of the story of that really uh, started in Colorado I was uh, living up in the mountains in a town called Silverthorne, which uh, if you know where Breckenridge, the ski resort is, I was pretty close to that. And uh, I was working out of Lowe's uh, in the loading area. I was loading up people's uh, cement bags and and lumber and all that good fun stuff and just really wasn't going anywhere in life. And one day I just decided that, you know what, I need to find something better. So I just, I didn't even know what I was going to do. So I was just like, okay, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to figure it out as I go. I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to do something better and and be something better than what I am. And that's when the opportunity came along. Uh, My stepfather, who uh, 
is a project manager and has has been a surveyor all of his life, he had a project that he was going to be overseeing on the survey side. And he came up to me uh, during a dinner one night and just said, uh, hey, we need some extra hands on this pipeline job we're going to be doing down in Texas. And uh, here's what we do. Here's what it pays. Uh, are you interested? And once I heard what it pays, I was like, well, hell yeah, I'm interested. I'm, I'm over here making $11 an hour. My God, yes, I'm interested. <laughs> so yeah. uh, I, uh, within a month or so, I uh, packed up and went to Texas. So uh, got on that job. And uh, it was funny because uh, I had a friend that I had met in AOL chat rooms probably like a decade before that. And uh, her name is Sandy. And you know, we had kind of uh, been in and out of touch over the years. And uh, we just happened to be in touch at that time. And I told her, I was like, uh, hey, you're around Houston, right? She says, yeah. I was like, well, um, actually, I'm going to be coming down that way. And she's like, well, oh, my God, call me right now. <laughs> so I called her, let her, knew, let her know what was going on. And uh, probably about a week or two after I arrived in Houston, uh, we met up. And really, the rest is history. We've been together ever since. And. No, it's crazy. And I guess with that, uh, how did you manage, um, just a lot of what we talk about in here is how did you manage that relationship while you were gone or were you home most days? Uh, for the first project, I, it was local to the Houston area. The uh, line ran from Freeport, Texas up to Mont Bellevue, uh, going through uh, parts of Houston. So yeah, I was basically here for the first you know couple of years of our relationship. So there was no problem there, obviously, because I could at least see her on the weekends because we didn't live together at the time. Uh, we didn't start living together probably until after or close to when that job ended and I had bought my house and and then we moved in together at that point. Uh, after that job ended, um, there was a long layoff. Uh, you, know, you, you know how that goes. Yeah. And so, yeah, we had plenty of time in the first two, two and a half, almost three years, you know, to, to be together. Um, you know, pretty much all the time. And uh, I told her though, flat out, it's like, you know, I'm enjoying the surveying thing. It's making me a lot of money. I want to keep doing it. So, you know, expect that if a job takes me out of town for a long period of time, you know, I'm going to go where I need to go. And, you know, since we had talked about it and just kind of laid down those ground rules, you know, like that, you know, it was the expectation that this was going to be the lifestyle I was going to be living it at least for a while. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, we always had just good communication. I think that's what was key. Like, you know, she knew what I you know, wanted to do and what the expectation was going to be of that lifestyle. And, you know, we just did the best we could with it. You know, uh, there were some jobs that took me as far as like Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania area. And um, uh, thankfully, though, a lot of the jobs I took in the last six years have been in Texas. So I've only been, you know, maybe three to eight hours away. So, um, you know, for her, you know, it, it hasn't been as bad as I know it is for some people going, you know, from one end of the country to the other for years on end. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from in that respect, you know, I think we've probably had it a little better than some, but, you know, there have been those times where it's pretty much, you know, you're on the phone, you know, in the morning at night, you know, saying good morning, good night, all those kinds of things. And just making sure you, you keep the communication up. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's great to hear that you were able to manage that. And, and now, um, so you learned some communication tools while you were, you were gone. And now that you're home, I guess it's uh, probably a little bit easier in some ways. And then in some ways, 
not used to being around each other. Hey, eh? that come up. Yeah. For me, it was a little bit of an adjustment each time I came home, you mm-hmm. know, when, when you'd go out of town you know, for a long period of time, I think there's always that readjustment period a little bit when you've got to come home and, you know, things at home have been operating a certain way for a period of time. And then suddenly you're like the wrench in the system. You know, you, you come in and, and mess it up. Uh, yeah. Even though you live here, it's your house. But at the same time, things have been just going on as they do without you. So now you have, you have to, uh, everybody really has to adjust to that dynamic of now there's this extra person here. Yes, they belong here, but you know, now things are going to change a little bit. And we all have to kind of uh, readjust to being around each other all the time. I think there's always that. And I know I've heard a lot of guys who, you know, go to jobs years on end or, you know, work decades in this industry. And by the time they retire, it's almost like they don't even know each other anymore. And, you know, they've become completely different people over that period of time. So once again, I've had the privilege of of not having to endure it to that level, but it's still always an adjustment every time you come home. No, it's, and that's a lot of the tools that uh, that I work with in uh, with our guys, and it's it's amazing just putting in the deposits while you're gone in a positive way, and not just showing up and just say, "Hey, babe, let's go up and fuck." Like that, <laughs> right? Like, unfortunately, that's the way we think because we're dudes. But yeah. guess what? <laughs> you haven't done the deposits, and you haven't done that connection. That you know, you are sleeping with the stranger. Like she is in both sides. Right. Like you do need that readjustment for sure. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It, it's kind of a honeymoon. The first couple of days you, you come back and then it's back to reality, back to the routine and you, you have to make those adjustments. And uh, I, I think it's probably hard for some people to accept the fact that uh, for at least a little bit, you are a stranger in your own home and you know you have to kind of uh, reintegrate into the social structure of your own home. There's definitely that element to it. And I can see for some people how incredibly difficult that can be. Yeah. And it it just goes back to the communication tools. Like, man, if you can't, if you aren't able to um, say like, yeah, I feel weird being here for one as the dude, like showing back up. Mm -hmm. And if if your spouse or partner can't say, hey, I feel weird that you're here, even though it's your house and have that conversation. Um, which most people don't have. They just hide, I, I found, and uh, you just hide it. And that's where the problem is. And that's like you said, with the guys that have been in there for, you know, decades, like myself. And yeah, there's a reason why I'm single. It's, yeah, didn't have those tough conversations. So yeah, communication is essential. And, you know, thank goodness me and Sandy, we've always been great at talking to each other and letting each other know how we're feeling at any given time. If we're having a problem with the other for some reason, you know, if there's an issue that comes up, we talk about it and we work through it. So we've always had the benefit of excellent communication. And I know sometimes it's easy to let those things fall by the wayside. It really is because you're working out there 12 plus hours a day, six, seven days a week. And yeah, you're tired by the time you get back. And you, uh, I, as a party chief, like I have, I would have to go and, you know, get my hours in, get my notes done, get everything submitted. You know, that's taking up an extra hour of my time when I get back to the camper and it's just a, a rough lifestyle, but you really have to be committed to putting in the time to always making sure you're communicating with your spouse at least once a day. 
and just making sure that they know you're okay and that you're still interested in what you got going on back home and what everybody's doing and just staying involved and engaged. It's really very important. Yeah. And you touched on something there too, with the long days. Um, did you find, so you were working at Lowe's uh, and, uh, and now all of a sudden you're working in the field for 12 plus hours a day. Did you, I always like to go back to your, uh, were you a fit guy when you started in the industry? Um, I was reasonably in shape, I guess. I, I wasn't really a gym rat by any, any yeah. uh, stretch of the imagination, but, uh, uh, I've kind of got this, uh, stomach thing that kind of goes on with me. And, uh, I, I guess at that point I was kind of having issues with it still and keeping it under control. So, um, Basically, I get like violently ill for a day or two at a time, and it's it makes it look it looks like the flu, really. It looks like I'm just like highly ill and contagious and all this stuff, but really, it's just like a genetic thing. But um, yeah, at that point, I was probably down on weight a little bit just from that. But um, yeah, um, it was rough, definitely uh, adjusting to a surveyor's lifestyle, especially when you're doing prelim because. Uh, the surveyors, we consider ourselves like the Marines of the pipeline. We're the first in and the last to go. You know, so we're, we're in there um, getting to know a lay of the land and, and knowing what the, the pipeline route is going to be. And you know, we're out there but well before clearing or any construction shows up. We're sometimes there before they even know who the contractor is going to be. So yeah. we're, you know, we're out there in the thicket and, and really just you know going through everything out there and uh, doing what we got to do. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of long days of trudging through things and uh, going over fences and pounding stakes in the ground and, and all these things that I was definitely not used to. It was a uh, it was a serious learning curve for the first six months. But, uh, yeah, you stick with it. You you learn the ropes and, and learn what you need to do and, you know, how you need to be out there and and just working with your team. And, you know, it, it, it takes time to uh, figure it out. But um I, it was it was a great job. Like it was really interesting learning a skilled trade because I had never had that in my life before. I had mm-hmm. I'd been a retail guy my whole life up to that point, you know, out outside of high school, and yeah, yeah I I probably should have been a broadcaster in radio or something. I didn't do it for whatever reason it was, just being stupid probably, <laughs> being young and stupid. But uh, yeah, I I just didn't really uh, expect much of myself until I went and became a surveyor. It it really changed my life in a lot of ways and not just financially. It really built a lot of character in me. Yeah. No, some of the strongest people that have come out of the industry are are pipeliners and it's it's just amazing, you know, from all facets. Uh and uh where I was going with the body thing was did you um because you are so beaten down did you, I mean, surveyors are a little bit different. Yeah, man, I never thought of that. This question works a lot better with people that aren't trudging around, you know, by foot all day, every day. But I was going to ask, did you, did your health kind of go downhill with, um, at all? So, you know, I, and I bring that up because, you know, because of the long days, um, you don't eat very well for a lot, you know, I just let me know if I'm putting words in your mouth, but you, you know, some days you don't eat very well. Um, and, uh, you know, for those that do go to the gym and that need that, they aren't going to the gym. So, you know, and then you maybe drink a little bit more after work with the boys that, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know? and you know, it just adds up year after year after year. And then all of a sudden you're like, man, I don't know about this. 
Yeah, that reminds me of a conversation I had had with an old friend um, after that first job. I had, I had gone back up to Colorado to visit some friends since I had some free time finally. And uh, she looked at me and and she said, yeah, I, I can see uh, that that job put some years on you. <laughs> and I was like, wow, yeah, I, I, I feel like it put some years on me for sure. Uh, like I said, with, you know, that illness I have, or it's kind of like a, an off and on thing, you know, it's not a chronic thing, but um, it, it just, it's more of an acute thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, with that, like, uh, not eating well, that triggers it. So, um, yeah, a lot of times when I'm on jobs and if I'm not eating the way I'm supposed to, yeah, that definitely affects me big time. And, um, yeah, I can end up sick for a couple of days at a time and, you know, you don't want to be the guy out there missing all these days at work and, you know, when everybody's depending on you. So it's a, a really tough thing you know, when you have this, this thing going on in, in your body that, um, you know, you can control to a degree, but when it happens, it happens and you're down for about 48 hours and there's nothing you can do about that. Mm. So, um, yeah, eating right is definitely a, a big thing I had to come to terms with. And it, it always helped either renting an apartment when I could, um, if I had to be in a hotel, I was in a hotel room that had a kitchenette that I could cook with. Um, the last, uh, couple jobs I was on, I had a camper so that I had my own living space and had my own kitchen and, and could, you know, get the things that I needed to, in order to uh, keep my health right. So yeah, there were definitely times when it was a struggle. And again, I, I keep coming back to it. I was a lot fortunate, a lot more fortunate than most, you know, especially on that first job, since I was living with my mom and my stepdad and we had this house and, and, and I could, you know, stay health, reasonably healthy in my eating habits most of the time. Uh, but there are definitely jobs, especially when I went out to uh, West Texas and like Odessa area, you know, pff, one of the most desolate places in the dang country. <laughs> it's, it's nothing but oil patches out there. My goodness. But uh, you know, when you get into places like that, where options for healthy eating uh, are almost nothing, you know, when you're in places like that, it's definitely a lot harder and you have to be a lot more careful. So uh yeah, I mean, being on the road and and sometimes not having the options you're used to definitely rough. Oh yeah, man. Like I, I've been. I don't know if you know Canada much, but there's uh, Saskatchewan, so mm -hmm. kind of in the more in the middle. And uh, man, there you know restaurants would close at like eight o'clock at night. So if we worked late or whatever, doing tie-ins or something, and uh, and <laughs> try to get a meal after is impossible. And then you're trying to get the, the hoagie at the old uh, convenience or at the gas station in the morning yeah. to, uh, where you went to work. And uh, yeah, it's just not very conducive to a healthy lifestyle in that aspect. Yeah. When a, a pilot truck stop is the healthiest eating option where you're at, you got some problems. <laughs> it's, it, it's a bad, bad situation. Like uh, we were working out of this town called Pecos, which is West of Odessa. And uh, yeah, like most of the gas stations in town, what they were serving was just absolute trash. I, I wouldn't work. I wouldn't wish some of that food on my worst enemy. It was just terrible stuff. So yeah, we had to uh, definitely be very careful about where we went. And uh, like, uh, I mean, sometimes your options are limited when you're trying to get back out into the field and stuff. But um, luckily, where we were working, there was a pilot gas station not too far from where we were at, and it was one of the newer ones. And they had some decent food to eat at the very least. It, you know, nothing gourmet by any stretch, but. Uh, at least edible. So, uh, we, we would go there pretty much every day to have lunch uh, when we were out in the field and, 
um, yeah, it, it's just, it's, it's a real struggle, especially depending on where you're at. Um, if you're in more urban areas, if you're lucky to, to be like in a place like Houston or, uh, one job I was close to Washington DC, you know, where we had better options, you know, that's always nice, but you know, that's not always the option. That's not always the reality. A lot of these jobs are in extremely rural areas and, uh, yeah, you gotta be careful. Yeah, no. Uh, I guess what I want to talk about next is, uh, or bring up next is the, um, uh, you said, uh, like you, in six years, you basically went from, you know, just the new full men on the job to party chief. And uh, how long did that take to, for you to get there? Um, yeah, like I said, I started out as a rodman, you know, the lowest position you can be as a surveyor. Um, and I, within about six months, uh, you know, prelim turned to as built. And, uh, I ended up being an I man on the, on the, uh, second phase of that job and into cleanup as well. And, uh, it was a lot of learn as you go and you, you've got to keep up, you, you got to learn what you need to learn. You, if you just got to keep up with it, it's, it's a, it can be a very fast paced job sometimes. And there's not a lot of times to just sit back and say, Oh, I got to fix this thing real quick. Or, you know, I got, I made a mistake with this data. I better fix it up. Like it's, uh. Uh, it's, you know, it can be uh, fast paced and stressful at times and, um, you, you really got to be on your toes. But, uh, in that time, I, I think I, I spent, you know, good next, uh, four years or so as an I-man out there just running the instrument and, uh, helping the party chiefs out. And, uh, then, uh, I got the opportunity to move up to party chief on one job. Um, uh, I actually went out to the job as an I-man, but they didn't have enough party chiefs. So they are like, uh, okay, well, you got the most experience. You're a party chief now. And so I was just basically thrown right into it <laughs> again. Like, it's just a uh, congratulations. Here's your promotion. Uh, learn everything and learn it now. <laughs> so, uh, again, just had to really be on my toes, learn it as I was going. And, uh, I mean, luckily I had been doing it long enough and consistently enough that, uh, the transition into party chief wasn't too rough. It, you know, there was a lot of things that I had to uh, pick up on and, uh, you know, doing field notes. My goodness, that was probably the worst thing for me is, is, is figuring that part out. I'm, I'm not an artist. I, I don't draw well at all. I'll fully admit that, but, uh, you know, but I knew what to do with the instrument. I knew what data needed to be collected. I, I knew what job processes were, you know, that needed to be done. And I could lead a crew of a couple of guys out there and and get what we needed to get day to day. So uh, just uh, adjusting, I guess, to the extra work that comes with being a party chief. You know, once the day is done, like your job's not done, you got to get the time in, get the data in. Uh, you know, make sure everybody's getting paid on your crew and all that good stuff. Uh, that was a little bit of an adjustment. Um, and you know, the extra pay was was definitely nice. So it's like, okay, I'll put up with a little extra work for that, but. Uh, you know, it was just uh, like I got there a lot faster than a lot of other people do in, in my industry, especially the guys who are, you know, the more uh, old, older generation, you know, the ones behind, you know, that are older than me. Uh, it's just uh, it, it, it boggles their minds that uh, people get promoted so quickly and they got a point. I probably shouldn't have been promoted as quickly as I was, but that's just the way it is anymore. Um a lot of times they don't want to pay the guys with a lot of experience or they want to keep the people that have been on the job and they can pay the least, at least for a while. And, you know, so they, they just tend to promote from within and, and that's how they do it now. Mm -hmm. And, um, like, I don't, uh, fault anybody who has that particular gripe of like, yeah, you're, you're not ready for this. And 
I would even agree with them and say, yeah, I don't think I was ready either. But you know, w- if you're not thrown into it, sometimes you're never going to be ready. Uh, I'm one of those guys who gets that imposter syndrome going. And like, I would have never thought I was going to be ready unless somebody just said, uh, you're ready. You're doing this. Go. <laughs> yeah. No, man, I hear you. Like that was how I went from welding inspector to um, construction manager in three years. No, yeah. two just over two years, sorry, oh, wow. just over two years. Uh, I asked for a uh, assistant construction manager job on doing integrity digs. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, and then they came and said, no, <laughs> do you want to take over this job? The other guy's retiring. Like what? Okay. <laughs> right. Cause up here we have breakup. You guys don't really have that down there too much. Hey. So like the, you know, your spring months, we don't really work. Okay. And uh, yeah. So we got to, you know, so during that time, you know, starting in May, okay, now this is your job, right? So it's like, right. okay, but yeah, it was the same thing. Like I, yeah, 100% shouldn't, uh, I almost should have said no. Now, like thinking back, because I did want it. I would have, you know, I wanted it more than anything. And I think that's why I was, well, you know, kids been asking for a while now. Like, but, okay, let's go. But at the same time, it was like, man, there was a lot that I needed to learn. And there was a lot that I didn't know. I didn't know. But, uh, but again, like, yeah, I love having these conversations, because it's like, yeah, you can do it. You just have to ask the right people and put your hand up when you say you don't know. Right? Like, and at least I did that when I didn't know I made a phone call, (laughs) and not just trudged ahead. You know, I, I think I did for the most part. So I don't know, were you were you the same? Yeah, there's a lot of times I'd have to be on the phone with uh, somebody in the office or another party chief if I didn't want to bother the office and just say like, uh, hey, I don't know what to do here. Um, you know, give me some guidance. Uh, what, what would you do? Uh, there was a, a lot of that, especially in the early months. And then uh, sometimes you know, there, there were moments where there is nobody available to help you and you've just got to rely on your experience and think back and say, okay, you've been in the situation before. Uh, what did you do? How did you get out of this situation? And there was a lot of times where honestly, I surprised myself where I just looked at what was going on. Like, you know, if the inspector was there with me asking for a certain measurement or, you know, uh, some certain points to be uh, rerouted for the line or whatever, I would, I would just have to look around and say, okay, how did we do this? I know I've done this before. How did we get it done? And even if, if it had been years since I had done something like that, I would just have to sit there and think about it long enough, work through the problem and say, oh yeah, you know how to do that. And yep. it would come back to you and you go get what you need and everybody's happy. So there were times, yeah, I surprised myself and was able to recall that knowledge you know, in the, of those experiences and you know, rely on the experience I had. And it really proved to me in those moments saying like, okay, yeah, you were actually ready for this. Yeah, maybe there was some fine-tuning you needed here and there and and a couple of things, maybe a procedural things you needed to learn. But honestly, Jesse, you're a surveyor. You've done this. You know what you're doing out there. You're okay. Yeah, no, man, it's it's great. It's great when people, you know, just get out of that bubble, you know, yeah. and just, okay. <laughs> hey. Oh, yeah. I love it, man. Yeah, the lesson there is sometimes you got to do things that are uncomfortable. Uh, we're so um, 
averse to pain uh, or being uncomfortable in any way. Like that's just the way our society has gone because, you know, technology is, is such that we feel like we should never have to experience pain at any time. Everything uh, should be taken care of for us in one way or another so that we can just be as comfortable as possible all the time. Yep. And guess what? That's not the human experience. Sometimes things are painful. Sometimes things are stressful. Sometimes there's problems and you got to solve them. And that's a hard reality, I think, for modern generations to accept because of all of the convenience that we have in the modern world. But yeah, it, it, there are just times where it's okay to be uncomfortable. There's, it's okay to feel anxious about something. Sometimes that nervous energy can be your greatest ally because uh, I think there was a performer. His name is Mega Ran. Uh, he's a rapper. He, he uh, said at one time that's like, when he's about to get on stage, he feels that nervous energy coming through and he, he feels like uh, it gets those butterflies in his stomach. But at that point, he reminds himself that he's about to do something amazing. And that's why he feels that. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, sometimes it's all right to be a little uncomfortable. Yep. That's when in those times, that's when you're going to push yourself to break through and break past your limits in order to do something amazing. That's yeah. That's what the human experience is. We got to learn. We got to grow. We got to evolve. We got to always be moving forward. No, and that's the, the idea of expansion for sure. And that's what we all should be striving for. But what we get caught in is when you get that feeling of, oh, shit, like we call it the pucker factor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? You get the pucker factor. And you're like, oh, no. And then you hide. You just retract into that little bubble and go and sedate. And then that moment has passed and okay, I'm good. I'm good right where I'm at. And that's where a lot of, um, you know, in relationships and, and in, in business. Right. And then, you know, then you die. Yep. Then you, die. <laughs> then you don't take that chance and you don't take that, you know, and you don't have those tough conversations like we talked at the beginning. Right. And it yeah. all goes together, but yeah, expansion is huge. So I love yeah. it. Oh, definitely is. Yeah. We, we've always got to be growing, learning, evolving, moving forward. That's just what human beings do. Okay. Um, we wouldn't have the modern conveniences we have if people didn't push and strive for those things. Yeah. Th this stuff didn't just pop up out of nowhere and it's like, oh, everything's good now. Okay. Like, um, wow. Internet is just suddenly a thing. No, somebody had to build all that shit out. Like, somebody had to even come up with the idea to have this network of interconnecting computers that can share information worldwide. Like 30 years ago, this was just a pipe dream. It was just, it was crazy to even think that like these things could be possible. I mean, I know in the eighties they had like message boards that you'd have to like, you know, dial in on a phone, phone modem. And, and it was like impossible to reach these things unless you knew exactly what you were doing. So you think, you know, in, in that, what, 40 or something, you know, 35, 40 years, We've come a long ass way as far as our ability to communicate. Mm -hmm. And like yeah, these things wouldn't have been possible though if somebody didn't come up with the idea and work hard to make it happen and to have those long nights and, and those uncomfortable moments and probably a lot of doubt along the way. 
that's something I'm learning in creating my business right now is there are a lot of times where you kind of get into, a, I guess you call it like that valley of despair where everything's just dark and it looks like there's no end to it. And mm -hmm. you suddenly start having those doubts. Like, can I really do this? Do I really belong here? Uh, what the hell am I doing? I should quit and just go back to pipeline. Now, there's, you know, there's those moments for everybody, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're striving for. And, you know, the ones that are successful are the ones who keep pushing through that valley no matter what. And that, that's a hard thing to do. 95% you know, of people never make it out of that valley and to that success. You know, uh, I can't remember who came up with it, but there was a guy I was watching who had this kind of circle of things where it's like um, uninformed optimism is the first thing. It's like, oh, hey, this looks interesting. I, I can do that. And then there's, um, what was it? Um, I think unin or informed um, pessimism, <laughs> and then you get into the valley of despair, which is what most people never make it out of, and then they just quit and go back to uninformed optimism. And then you know, if you get out of the valley, there's this thing called informed optimism. Say, hey, I got the skills now. I've been through hell. I can do this. And then you get to success. Yep. Like you, you've got to go through that process. And honestly, that process hurts. It hurts a lot. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know about you, but that's where I found myself in, and um, and now I I pay for coaching to get me out of that. There's that accountability. So when I do hit that level where I'm like, oh man, I don't want to do this today, and then you have your weekly meeting, and it's like you know your check in, and it's like, hey, did you do that cool thing that you said you were gonna do? Well, no, because of this, this, and this, and then you feel like okay, well, why didn't I do that? Like really? And then go and execute because of that accountability. And yeah. it's just great. And uh, I guess, and back to your, um, back to the tools, I want to just see. So with your new business, do you think it's a lot of the things that you learned as party chief and surveying and being on the road, like, have you taken any of that and applied that to, you know, you launching this business you know, it has nothing to do with surveying, right? Oh, not at all. <laughs> but the skills, like, you, you know, there was computer skills, there was, you know, other stuff like confidence, like, you know, was there a lot of the skills? If you didn't do that, would you be able to do what you're doing today? Do you think? If I had stuck to retail, I don't think I'd be where I am today. Yeah. I, definitely not. Like I said, surveying built some character into me, whether I realized it or not at the time. Uh, it was a lot more than just learning a skilled trade. It was learning how to be around a completely different set of people for one, because uh, uh, surveyors and pipeliners, uh, you know, of, you know, with, no matter what side of that you find yourself on, they're a whole different lot. <laughs> you know, you're working with com completely different types of people who come from largely a completely different walk of life than you came from being in retail and, and doing that type of lifestyle. So there is a big shift there in just learning how to communicate with a whole different type of people and, and, and learning to communicate the way they do. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of character built up in all of those long hours working day in and day out. Uh, yeah, like Jeff, working six, seven days a week, that's rough. And when you're working 60 to 100 hours a week, that, that's a brutal schedule. And yep. it doesn't leave time even to think sometimes. It's, it's so long. Um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, now that I'm really thinking about you, you've made me think about this now. <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of unpacking it here. 
but uh yeah like i think that uh i probably should look at that more and think like okay jesse look at all these times that it was really hard being a surveyor and people are like you suck you should quit uh i had my naysayers especially at first who were like you're not cut out for this um i even had a supervisor at the end of that first prelim job say you know jesse i didn't think you were gonna make it but you hung in there you figured it out and you found a way to get involved and you know i'm glad you made it through and you know i i carry that conversation with me to this day like okay you know uh there's gonna be those times where you're gonna feel like you don't fit in or you you're definitely gonna look like you don't fit in and you know you're just out there learning and doing the best you can but if you stick with it you, you take that time and you stay committed you're gonna come out on the other end okay mm -hmm. you really are yeah no, I'm I'm glad it made you think a little bit because it's it's huge and I and that's where people get stuck is when they take that that I've seen is when uh, and even in myself when that title or that role or that you know that yeah has been stripped away from you then your feeling of self worth is is done so what you've done you've you know you had a vision that i see right i'm um, just talking to you now right you had that vision of i want more you went and got more right more money more um more opportunity and now on the and then you know you know you wanted more again and now you're applying all of that knowledge and all of that all of that to your new business and it's amazing right yeah definitely yeah um on that last job, like I had already started up my website. It actually started as a nerd culture website. I was writing about like video games and, and music and, and so, you know, just the things I enjoyed, uh, you know, on my leisure time. And, uh, I kind of realized like, Jesse, there's kind of a million nerd culture websites out there. You're not offering anything new in this space. Uh, maybe you should consider doing something else. And, and that's when I started, um, realizing that I really liked working with independent artists. Because I had gone to some of these uh, nerdcore shows. I don't know if you know what nerdcore hip hop is at all. No, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, it's it's basically hip hop about um, things you enjoy. Which uh, those things in in that subgenre happen to be video games, uh, anime. Uh, gosh, back in the old days, you know, uh, there's guys like MC Frontal out rapping about operating systems and, and computers and science and and things like that. So I, I really just define it as uh, hip hop about anything that you you have a, a, a big interest in. So um, that's uh, that's nerdcore in a nutshell. But uh, yeah, I started covering these guys and realizing how hard independent touring acts work. You know, I went into this one show. I'd seen these guys setting up a merch table and having to sell their own merch. You know, they don't have roadies or anything like that to, to help them out with the shit. And you know, then they got to go on stage, kill it up there, go back to their merch table, sell more stuff, take pictures, sign autographs. And then they got to pack up everything in this, this small little van and they got to drive, you know, 10 to 18 hours down the road to the, to the next venue. And they go and do this for months on end. Sometimes it's a rough life for these guys. And, and really like, I remember going to that show and thinking like, I paid like 15 bucks to get into the show. There's maybe like a hundred, 150 most at the most kind of a crowd here. And like, you, you got to think, you know, there's three acts on that show making $15 a ticket. I don't know what their cut of the door was or if they got a guarantee or not. Like, uh, yeah, there's kind of two ways artists get paid at a show. It's either, you know, you get a cut of the door or you get a flat fee. 
Yeah. Um, but there's a lot more nuance to it than that, but I won't go too deep into there. But I was thinking like, you know, if they're getting like, you know, 70% of the door and then they got to split it three ways, that's not a lot of money. Like they're, they got to, de- they got to depend on those merch sales and, you know, getting as many shows and as many people in the door as possible to sell as much merch as possible. So I'm like, these guys are working their asses off and probably not getting as much as they deserve out of it. And I had that epiphany that one night. And so, you know, going on you know, the next year or so, um, you know, kind of leaving the website behind a little bit and, you know, going back out on the job and, and really thinking on that. Um, and then I started my own podcast here uh, called 2020 into the fire where, you know, after this pandemic hit, my God, you know, uh, these poor artists, you know, they can't do their live shows anymore. They can't, uh, engage in something that was probably a major part of a lot of their incomes. Yeah. Uh, if you're not selling a lot of music online or pushing CDs, you know, outside of these shows or pushing merch outside of the shows, then, you know, you got fucked big yeah. time. Yeah. So I started, I decided I'm going to start telling these people stories. You know, I got them. I started interviewing them and asking them about their struggles and how they're overcoming those things. If they're able to overcome it at all. And over, you know, uh, the last, oh, gosh, nine months or so, I've been able to, or actually maybe even longer than that, I've been able to, you know, hear these stories and, uh, you know, hear both sides of it, you know, how they're struggling and and some of them, how they're overcoming. It's been eye-opening to me, and I really wanted to share that with the world and and show people like, hey, um, these people are having a hard time because they're... Some for some of them, their one means of making money throughout the year is gone, mm-hmm. and they don't know what the hell to do. Some of them, uh, it's it's a pretty bad situation, and you know, and it's not like um, I guess the arts are the most important thing in the world right now, but it's still an important thing. Like that's how people cope and relate and and just kind of escape everything that's going on in the world, and that and there's proof positive of that because. People are at home online spending more on entertainment and things off of Amazon and whatever than ever. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Bezos hit the goddamn jackpot. <laughs> COVID is the best thing that ever happened to Amazon. My God, <laughs> that guy is making buku money. But anyway, uh, <laughs> it's just, yeah. I really wanted to tell their stories and, and find a way to help them. And even in just doing the podcast, it's completely changed my direction on what I want to do for a business. I want to help these people figure out, you know, not only how to navigate something like COVID, but even when the times are good, they're struggling. So I want, I want them to get what they deserve. I really want them to find a way to brand and market themselves in a way that is going to get them in front of the right people and who's that's going to build their community and get them not just fans, but paying customers who are not just going to go to their shows and buy their merch there, but are going to buy their stuff online. Or, you know, if they want to do a live stream concert, those people are going to show up and support them because these people, a lot of them are putting in high level work. That's on par with just about anything you hear on the radio. Some of these guys are just that damn good and they deserve all of the acknowledgement, all the support that they can possibly get. And so I want to help them get to a point where they can get that for themselves as independent artists. Because uh, if you know anything about the record labels, they're a bunch of snakes. Mm-hmm. They're, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, some people think like lawyers are the shistiest people in the world or uh, car salesmen are the worst. Uh, I think the record executives might have a, a good shot at that title because uh, they've spent decades just 
exploiting artists and taking all of their money uh, and and doing almost nothing for it. So um, these days, it's so much easier to be an independent artist. There are so many more opportunities to market yourself without the help of a record label. And you know, for a creative, like that's not something that they probably think of too often. And if they do think about it at all, it's it's an afterthought. It's it's stressful thought. It's an overwhelming thought, and they don't want to deal with it. They just want to create for the love of creating. And whoever hears it, hears it great. And if I make it awesome, if I don't, well, whatever. Artists are supposed to starve anyway. And I'm <laughs> like, no, that's not true. Yeah. You don't have to starve if you have some very basic understandings of the universal principles of business and branding and and most importantly mindset because if you think artists are supposed to starve then you've got a mindset problem you got to fix that first so that's what i'm doing i'm creating this kind of holistic approach where i start with the mind and the heart that's where i want to i want to start with that and then when you got that right then we can start working on branding marketing and and building an email list and funnels and, and all that other bullshit cuz if you don't have the inside right none of the other stuff matters no. and I, I think a lot of them have great creations and they're amazing at creating it's just we got to put the rest of the puzzle together and they can be as successful as the people they look up to no man that's great like so in doing that, you're helping other people and you're fulfilling yourself at the same time. It sounds like it lights you up. You know, it's not just something else to make an income, right? It's your, it lights you up to help other people. And that's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, really, so if you can get paid at the same time that they get paid, it's a win-win. Oh, definitely. I mean, yeah, I'd love to make money at it, but really at the heart of it, I think I've always had this enjoyment of helping people. Um, even just helping my friends when they were having a hard time, you know, being that person that you could call at three in the morning when you're having bad thoughts and and just thought life is over. And, you know, if I can say something to make you feel better, that that's something that brought me joy. It was in bringing others joy and, and helping them out of their dark places. So, yeah, it, it really starts there. And um, as a fellow creator, I mean, I'm a podcaster. I've been in love with TV and radio since I was a kid. I love playing video games and I love cartoons and and just I, I guess I, I could consider myself a great consumer of media in, in that way. But uh, I, I remember you know, being in high school. I went to the high school I went to because it had a TV production studio yeah. and I felt at home there. So. Like really just uh, helping these people as creators is just a natural extension of that. And I get to be a creator myself. I get to create podcasts and videos and, and blog posts and, and all of these other awesome things that can really help people. And then if they need help beyond that, I can provide value in so many other ways. It's mm -hmm. just, that's really where my heart is at right now. I, I want to help these people. I think that I can do it. Uh, I've got a long way to go myself. I, you know, I'm I'm trying to learn the industry for them, so that I can say, okay, here's all the things that they don't tell you about when you know they sign a record deal, or uh, you know, th these are the things that people keep close to the vest that you know they don't want to tell you because they don't want you to shine the way they do. Um, I, I'm like, I'm not a musician. I got no reason to take your shine away. Like, I'm going to tell you everything I've learned. You know, I got no reason to hold it back. So, yeah. uh, I really want to help artists. You know go from the inside out. Cause I think there's a lot of mindset issues that need to be overcome. I think there's a lot of heart issues that need to be overcome. And then when, when you get that done, then like I said, you can work on all the external stuff because you know, 
you know, all the things that come to you on the outside are, are a result of what you think and feel on the inside. I am a firm believer in that. You know, if you don't have your mind right, you know, the world outside of you isn't going to be right. You, know, you, you got to get what what's in here and what's here before you, you know, your mind and heart before you can go and even start worrying about, oh, what's my brand image and uh, what's my message and and how do I get this sales funnel uh, going and uh, get people to my website? Uh, that that can all wait. That That's just, that's going to come. So let, let's work on you as a person. Like I, I want to reach them and I want to transform artists that need it from the inside out. I know there's a lot of artists that are probably just fine in their mind and hearts and you know, that they know what they want, but I know there's a lot of them out there that aren't and they just have no idea. So I really want to reach those people and really, I guess, save them from themselves in a way. I guess that's kind of the, the best way to put it and you know, get them out of their own heads and get them to like look at it really objectively and say, okay, it doesn't make sense that I'm doing this to myself, feeling down all the time and, and feeling like I don't belong. If I want this and I work for it, I can have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get them and, to that point. Yeah. And I, and I love the model and I love what you're doing there. And I would consider saying or, or thinking that I don't think you're saving anybody. What you're talking about is actually empowering them to be able yeah. to, to be able to live that way the rest of their lives. Like once they get that figured out, I mean, there's always going to be another blip. There's always going to be something else, but they'll have the tools to pull themselves out of it. So I, I think you're empowering them, not saving it. And yeah, that's, that, that's a better way of putting it. Yeah, <laughs> I was, I was yeah. not coming up with the word, but yeah, no, you're absolutely no. right. And I, and I just, it's just very important for people to, to know that for themselves that, that's listening and everything else. Like, yeah, you have, once you make that shift and once you make that decision, you're, you know what you're doing because you did it for yourself. Like you didn't want to be in the oil patch forever and pipeline. So you made the shift, like you made that mental capacity <laughs> and in a decision to, to leave, but you had a plan. Somewhat, it sounds like you had a plan <laughs> and, uh, and you're, and you're executing and learning every day. Right. So, yeah. I mean, really my plan was to just build the idea of what I wanted to ultimately do. Um, I wanted to work on that podcast, of course, but um, really my major part of the plan was save up as much money as I possibly can so that when I get out of this job, I don't have to go back out right away. I saved every penny I possibly could and um, it paid off. It really did. Like, I you always treat yourself a little bit out there. You you know what I mean? (laughs) You always got to treat yourself just a little bit just to stay sane. But at for the most part, I saved probably, oh, I don't know, at least half of what I brought in, yeah. probably more than that. But really, you know, at, you know, once that job was over, I looked at my bank account and said, okay, I can do this. I can make a good year long run at this, you know, and, and one, you know, if I, if I play it out, right. So yeah. yeah, that's what I'm doing. Like I executed that part of my plan, you know, to perfection. So now I'm able to be here. Like I've been off since August. It's now December and I'm good. Like financially, I've got my stuff taken care of. I can spend my time working on this. I can spend the resources that I have working on this. So like, I don't have to worry about that. And that's one of the advantages of being on the pipeline and being in that life is you you get a lot of money real fast. And if you play it right, then by the time the job's over, you're going to have a lot of money left over. So that's what I did instead of, you know, uh, I know there's a lot of people get in that lifestyle of like, uh, 
oh man, this $3,000 check just came in, man. All drinks are on me. Let's go. (laughs) And I wasn't doing that. I was going home to my camper every night, spending every night by myself, just working on my craft. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, you know, as much as I could, cause you know, you get tired and some nights you just don't want to do anything. And sometimes you just want to spend your one day off a week, just vegging out. But, uh, you know, most nights I was sitting there grinding, I was trying to figure it out. And since I've come home, I've done the same thing. And, you know, like you said earlier, you know, working with a coach can be so important and that's exactly what I've done. Yeah. I've got a mentor here in Houston. His name is Ozil DeBasto. So he runs a pod Houston, you know, him <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he's been instrumental in, in helping me develop my vision and, and um, you know, helping me with, you know, my podcasting efforts. Um, I'm working with a branding coach out of Los Angeles. He's amazing. He has shown me that branding is so much more than a logo and, and colors and all of that. There's, you know, your vision, your mission, you know, uh, your message. There's all of, there's a lot of components to that. And so he's been helping me build that up so that when I'm ready to really launch this out into the world, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be very, very clear on what it is I do and what it is I can do to help others. Yep. No, man. And, uh, no, I, and I'll just let you know, and I'm working through this too, is done is better than perfect. And coming from someone with a little OCD, ADD, whatever you want to call this stuff is very hard. But I just pull the trigger and I just go. And because the reality is there's not a lot of people listening, not like at the beginning and not a lot of people, it doesn't matter what you're doing and, and it's just get it out. And then once it's out, by the time you get your mission um, and your vision um, clearer and your message clear, then when people are actually starting to listen by that point. But when you start, if you, you're waiting on that perfect logo and the perfect, you know, perfect website and everything, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Nobody's there. Like, what does it freaking matter? Yeah. Right? It's just a placeholder for when you do start gaining traction. So, right. no, man, it was a great conversation. I loved it today. And uh, I guess where could people find you if, um, you know, they want to get, uh, maybe there is, a you know, an artist on the pipeline that's, uh, you know, that's wants to branch out and, uh, yeah, get some guidance. Yeah. Hey, if you're sitting there plucking on your guitar and and have a big dream, um, I would love to talk to you about it. Uh, you, my website is nodball.com. That's N O D B A L L. I know it's a nonsense word, but, uh, I mean, yeah, what you were saying about imperfect action is, is absolutely right. My website looks like trash right now. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's you know been part of doing the podcast, too, is let's get something out there. But um, yeah, you can find uh, you can find us at nodball.com. If you'd like to reach me directly, you can email me at uh, jesse at nodball.com. Uh, I do uh, free 30-minute uh, consultations. So uh, if you go to nodball.com forward slash 30, you can find my calendar there and book a time with me. And, you know, if you've got any kind of uh, issue with your creative career, or if you're just considering it and you want to know what it is you need to do, you know, get, you know, uh, set up a time and let's, let's talk about it. Um, also uh, my podcast, uh, 2020 into the fire is, uh, is available now. Um, I'm actually down to about, I think, uh, about maybe three, four more episodes to go. And that that's over. Cause I decided to do a limited series with it. Um, but, uh, you can find that on radio.nodball.com. Um, the podcast is also on iTunes, Google, uh, Stitcher, all of the major podcatchers out there, uh, Spotify as well. So, uh, 
yeah, lots of ways to uh, yeah, discover more about Nodball, uh, the podcast. Uh, you can reach me directly, of course. Um, I am at Mr. Endo with a zero on uh, Twitter. Uh, we're also on Instagram at Nodball Media. Same thing on Facebook. Sweet. No, man, I love it. And I uh, oh, appreciate your time being on the show. And uh, if anybody wants to uh, uh, get a hold of me, um, we're starting 10 new group, or I want to do two new groups of uh, coaching here in the new year. So, um, so no, make sure that you uh, send me a DM and uh, on Instagram or on Facebook and uh, let's get uh, something rolling. So, but no, just keep supporting and make sure we're back on iTunes now. If you if you made it this far in the podcast, back on iTunes and uh, make sure you like, subscribe and uh, and hit up uh, Jesse's show as well and uh, like and subscribe there and just yeah support uh, people that are out there trying to make a difference. So no, appreciate you everybody and we will talk to you later. Thank you for listening to today's Tale from the Trench. Follow us on Instagram and message us for a customized coaching strategy call to successfully live your oil-filled lifestyle. You can earn a fulfilled life. Check back next week to continue listening.